Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of uh, Old Guard versus New Blood. Firstly, a shout out to Majestic, who are sponsoring the event. Um, without them, I wouldn't be able to put these things on. Um, really pleased that, uh, that they continue to support me on doing these. Um, they just came out with a new um, tool. Uh, just yesterday so have a look on the blog and have a look at their new keyword research um, tool that's got some really fancy new features and things as well um, we're in analytics mode this time and I've got I, I honestly I don't think I could get four more um, uh, more uh, able analytics people in a webinar so I'm really really pleased that we've got so many people uh, on here so I'm going to allow uh, Jill and Sarah and Jim and Annie all to introduce themselves um, and uh, and then we'll start the meeting proper so Jill why don't we start with you um, tell us about yourself and uh, where do you come from? Oh, what's your name and where do you come from? Uh, my name is Jill Quick. I am the co-founder of a company called The Colouring In Department and we do digital marketing consulting and training. Um, one of my love bugs is measurement because if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, all of that stuff that you learned when you were younger. So um, yeah, I've got a soft spot for the old analytics. Sarah? Hi, I'm Sarah Clifton. I am the co-founder of Verify Data. Uh, I run with uh, Brian Clifton, who you might have read some books about analytics from. Um, and it's a, basically a software checking data quality and governance. And obviously passionate about the consent and privacy part of this. Jim. Uh, Jim Stern, um, let's see, founder of the Marketing Analytics Summit. Uh, the audience created the Digital Analytics Association, uh, author of a dozen books. Latest one is Artificial Intelligence in Marketing and um, helping companies with data literacy and analytics literacy in uh, what used to be workshops and is now over Zoom. Brilliant. And Annie. Hey, I'm Annie Cushing. Um, I blog at analytics.com and I'm the author of Making Data Sexy. So I, I try to uh, work out what, I, what the combined amount of experience is in this room. And uh, mm -hmm. it, was, it was a number that we, we don't want to really talk about, really. It's huge. <laughs> uh, so um, if anybody um, would like to ask a question, we've got a few questions and things to get ourselves going that some people asked when they signed up. But if you hover on your Zoom to the chat button, it'll reveal the, the chat box. Uh, and hopefully you can ask your questions in there. I don't know if anybody can type something in so I know it's working. That would be that'd be. A little relief. If not, we'll just carry on going regardless. Um, and uh, uh, what I wanted to start with, though, is oh, thanks for the test, Eric. That's great, fantastic. Uh, and uh, what I wanted to start with was um, firstly, all of you are really experienced in analytics, and you, you've you've all been in for a fair amount of the game, to be honest. Uh, and um, what I'd like to know is what you think is fundamentally different. Um, in a sort of one sentence each about uh, ana analyst analytics about 10 years ago uh, before a lot of our audience started and today. What are the differences in approach? I'll, I'll go up the screen this time. So I'll start with Annie. Yeah, so a couple things. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of two prongs from the same fork. On the one hand, we had a lot more personalized data, like a 
10 years ago, we still had keyword data from Google, which, you know, that, that was pretty amazing. So we had, <clears throat> there were fewer, you know, constraints on privacy and, and things like that. The other challenge is that um, now we just have so much more data that we have to churn through um, and, um, and really start to marry data up you know, from different sources to get the insights that we need. So 10 years ago, you know, we would muck around in, you know, search console data then called Google Webmaster Tools data, you know, and muck around in Google Analytics and, you know, present them differently and, and stuff. And now we're being required to pull data from lots of different sources, marry it up and tell a much fuller story. Excellent. Jim? Well, 10 years ago, we did not have iPad traffic or Pinterest or Snapchat or all those things. Um, we also had zero formal education. Um, the people who were doing analytics were doing it out of love only. Uh, if they were lucky, they had some statistical background, but usually it was the person who did not take a step back fast enough when they asked for volunteers. So they ended up at the front of the line. Um, we, we also have such an astonishingly wide variety of tools now that uh, we've broken up into specialties. Um, it used to be, well, we used to have a webmaster in the, in the, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, then we had the web analytics guy in the, in the basement. Um, now we've got somebody who's responsible for website data, somebody responsible for email, somebody who is doing data engineering, somebody who's doing data science, and then, oh, the analyst sitting in the middle trying to make sense of all of it. And the responsibility is to be the business communicator. And before it was just, yeah, crunch some numbers and give me a dashboard. Now, no, we need you to be uh, an active, important, um, uh, okay. valuable contributor to the bottom line. Okay, I might come back to that. Um, Sarah? Yeah, I think I have a similar point of view as, as Jim there. And I think that it's a, it used to be a jack of all trades, you know, a person that did a little bit of everything. Um, and I think now it's actually a better position if we're looking at it from the positive angle, not just the enormous amount of data mining that we have to go through. It's actually uh, easier to hire people. You know, there is someone for data mining. There might be someone that is a good analyst that you could find. Um, there still might be a lack of statisticians in this web analytics world anyway, but we're kind of moving into a bit of a maturity stage uh, where we can find more people that can fit all of these roles because a data miner and an analyst is obviously a very different skill set. Okay, and Jill? Um, I think for me, um, echoing on some of the themes that, that Jim had said about um, you only did it if you like really loved it. Um, for me, I've noticed that you've gone from maybe one person in a company to everybody having a mission statement of we are a data driven company that want to get the insights of our customers or something um, of that nature. Um, I think because there's so much information and it's it's at such a high volume now that you may have lots of individual people within a business getting all the data because people love data, don't they? They're like, give me the spreadsheets, give me the reports. But the, I don't think for a lot of people, they've still matured into the hygiene aspects of it to really understand how to use it, to know if it's clean. So I think there's some core fundamentals of um, having a good data practice to be data driven 
I don't think that's moved mm -hmm. along from 10 years ago, but I think 10 years ago we were still working out what we had and what we could do with it. So maybe that's why. Okay. As, I mean, that'll, um, Steve, uh, Steve, Haw Steve Hawkins has asked an interesting question that will follow on from that, that that would be really good, I think. Um, okay, so I, I might round those off into one kind of thing. I, there's some good questions coming in on the panel, which is great. Um, <clears throat> but we had one before we started uh, that was uh, asked when, when people signed up, uh, and it's from Robert Petrovic. Uh, and uh, he started with this. Um, in, two th in 2008... The 2008 crisis helped digital analysts, or this is his view, that, it, that the crisis helped digital analysts prove themselves useful by educating clients and focusing on sanity metrics such as conversion rates. Um, what should analysts emphasize now, given the situation we're in, to ensure all those people that say, just give me reach and influences, um, those kind of clients, um, how do you get them to be data-driven? Does that question make sense? So where are we going to go? So who wants to pitch in first on that one? Uh, first thing that's just come to my mind on that is um, to stop looking at data as a whole and start looking at it in cohorts. So especially given our current um, economic situation, instead of looking at all the data, who are your good customers right now? Who are you losing? What can you focus on? Because there's a lot of businesses that are needing to pivot and change and you can't just pivot a whole. You're going to have to have some insights to help with that. So I would, um, yeah, I would look up cohorts, um, that okay. kind of approach. Okay. Sarah, Jim, Annie? I, I just think it, need, it needs to be um, looked at from, you know, uh, you know, it's not an either or, you know, if you have a natural increase of reach, your conversion rate will drop, you know, it's, it's not, you've got to pick your path here and try to segment your data and try to see, you know, what influencers or who am I reaching and try to define the audiences here. I see a lot of this um, in, on a daily basis where people try to go for reach at the same time as they want a higher conversion rate. That's obviously great if you can manage that, but it's normally not the way it happens. So do you want to look for a higher order value or, you know, who, who's actually uh, making sense here? What kind of audience is driving, driving you forward? And what are the other ones that might, you know, influence them? Okay. So speaking so as, go ahead. Uh, the, que the question though is, is how, how can we, uh, what should analysts emphasize to convince those, those, you know, those people. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a just give me reach and influence kind of guy. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I <clears throat> just give me reach and influence. I don't care if they're, their influence is in Beyonce songs. That doesn't really matter. I just want the, you know, no, not quite. No. But, um, what, how do you convince me to not go down and just say, just, just everybody come to my site. So, you know, speaking as the old guard, the, um, in the good old days, it was, oh, look, we have log files and look at all this data and, you know, the old joke, there must be a pony in there somewhere. So there may be value. Uh, let's dig into the data. Let's talk about data. That's the wrong conversation. Um, if I want reach and I want frequency and I want response rate, okay, but toward what end? Let's talk about business goals. And right now you are rethinking, as Jill said, you're rethinking what your business model looks like, what your business strategy is going to be. So what new KPIs do you have? Let's not talk about reach. Let's not talk about traffic. Let's talk about how your company is going to succeed. And then let me as the data person 
go into the dark room, spin around and come out with some answers for the business questions rather than just give me numbers, give me numbers. Okay. Sorry, Sarah or Annie, did you, Sarah, did you want to come back on something there? Sorry. No, I, I think you, I mean, the, the idea that, uh, that you need to have is to, is to understand that, is that really your goal? Maybe if you are, you know, driving a blog or if you're sending a Zoom event, like, uh, you know, maybe that's, that is what you need to do. You need to find new customers. Maybe you're new to the market. So it's part of a business strategy, but I'm assuming that you want to make some money on it. So, back to the dialogue that Jim had, you know, there's got to be a KPI set for the actual target that you set out to do online. <laughs> Annie, sorry to leave you to the last. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, so I think a lot of this also comes down to segmentation. So in the early days, you know, we were primarily looking at data in aggregate. And I think a lot of our organizations still do that. I worked with a very large company who they had this data that <clears throat> Google had pulled together for them because they were that big. Um, and they just like created these buckets and no one questioned these buckets. They really relied on these buckets of keywords um, but no one questioned it. And it wasn't until like I created this interactive tree map that they realized that their car sharing, this was a tax company, and they had this car sharing services bucket. And it was ginormous, like much bigger than it should have been. And they found out, you know, drilling into that data that they were tracking the, this was Google Trends data, they were tracking the keyword Uber which had nothing to do with their business. It didn't drive sales. Someone searching for Uber isn't looking for tax-related information. But they had been making decisions on this data source that was just filled with dirty data. And I, I really like that uh, Jill touched on this a little bit, like data clarity. And I mean, that drives the ability to segment, to look at your data in segments. And you absolutely have to do that with when, when you're looking at conversion data, you know, I tell clients, anytime you're putting money into anything or significant resources, you need to be able to segment down to that particular source. And so, you know, so that comes down to, is that data clean? When we look at our channel data in Google Analytics or in Adobe Analytics, do we even know that this channel that's reporting revenue and, and things like that, that that channel is even clean? So, you know, as so I, I think the devil is really in the details. I would like yeah. to toss in um, one other thing about when you're pouring money in, something else that might help Robert and others in his situation. Remind people of the cost of answering their question. So how many people came to my website on Thursday and then looked at these three pages? Well, first of all, is it okay with you if I spend $10,000 getting that answer for you? And if you got the answer, what would you do with the answer? If I could just give you the answer for free, could you take action? So remember that collecting, cleaning, analyzing, and coming up with an answer to your question has a cost to it. It's not free. It's not just the top of my head. It's work. Are you willing to pay for that work? And can you put it to use? But doesn't that um, create the very problem that the, the that creates a barrier between, you know, <clears throat> the I just want to get it done kind of um, I, I don't know, typical CEO 
uh, of an internet company startup, you know, attitude of, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And then the, the analyst is saying, yeah, but we'll find out later. We'll find out later. I mean, one of the interesting things about the pandemic that's going on, at least from the UK perspective, is that um, uh, the, the government is, uh, are putting forward the, the uh, point um, very effectively, I think, but I'm probably, uh, probably, you know, get shouted down by half the country at least um that uh, we won't know how we've done compared to any other country until all of the deaths have been calculated from any source after the uh, the whole of the thing because people are dying from all sorts of other things at the same time different countries are blaming it on you know are, are, are assigning different deaths to different things we're not even counting the ones that aren't dying in hospital there's all sorts of different things and it's only going to be years from now that that information becomes clear as to how we did compared to all the other countries. But isn't that too late for most businesses? Um, you know, you, you say, how much does it cost to do that? And I think the problem is that if you, if, if analysts take that view, then nobody ever bothers to do the analysis. And of course there's this natural balance in between. If, if my, the speedometer on my car tells me how fast I'm going only after I have arrived it's not useful. So yes, I need some real-time reporting, but there is a cost. So the, the ad hoc questions, the, oh, couldn't you just add another column to that? Yeah, of course I can, but here are the things that I won't be able to answer because I'll be busy doing this. Mm -hmm. And here's the cost of it. And if that's okay with you, I will do the work. I will go get some, I'll hire some outside analysts to come in and help me if that's okay. I'm not <laughs> saying no, I'm just saying, please realize it's not free. I think for the conversations that I've been having with um, some of our clients have been focused on trying to please the people at the top. Like there's one company, um, it's a global company, they have a crap ton of money and the main KPI that they've got on their dashboard is bounce rate. And I'm like, oh God, no. <laughs> um, but sometimes you can't move things. So it's a case of having some flexibility. So if you have got people shouting, I just want reach and volume metrics, <laughs> trying to have a, a conversation of what are you really trying to get here? Like, do you want data for the point of data or are you trying to ask a question? Because sometimes I think they don't know what they're asking for and they've fallen into, well, this is what we always had. We, we were told 10 years ago it's bounce rate. Why should we change? Or, you know, something like that. Um, so I think having a look at um, what's the real question they're trying to answer, because sometimes it's not the thing that they're briefing you to do. It's a different problem that you need to address um, and as and some sort of flexibility we've tried pairing metrics so if you have got somebody insisting on squiffy metrics trying to pair them with something else along the journey to kind of show the impact of it has been oh, I like that to find idea. a compromise on people yep. that are still adamant about not changing some bloody dashboard because they like it the way it is um, <laughs> and make big decisions on it to um, try and massage okay. it so the client chooses a metric and then you choose a pair metric yeah. <laughs> yes okay but I one where it does genuinely impact it you know where you yeah. can see some causality hopefully that's a great tip great tip okay actually i mean all of that leads on to to the second the, the next question which is steve hawkins um uh, and i'll start off with you annie uh steve asked uh how do you instill data discipline i.e. when you join a team uh, collecting lots of data, but it's not being collected, uh, used correctly or not even being collected correctly. And that must happen to, I'm guessing that happens to almost every company that you guys dive into, uh, just like an SEO audit 
always finds problems in 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 uh, in, an, in an SEO audit, regardless of who did the last audit. Um, so, Annie, I mean, how how do you install data discipline? Yeah, so that's an excellent question. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go back to, you know, um, ensuring that the data is clean. And it's easy to talk about that. But one thing I've done is across projects, I've instilled in every workflow before I touch the data, the data goes through a data prep. Tool. So I've you know, worked with Tableau prep and um, data prep, Google's data prep with BigQuery. Um, but at this point now, I just won't work with data without having some kind of tool where I could get that 100 foot view and know that the data I'm reporting on is what it says that it is, you know, because in these tools, you can see an overview of, oh, well, you know what? 17,000 rows aren't showing up because for these 17,000 rows, a date was formatted as month, month, day, day, year, 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 year. And the rest of the, the data source was year, 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 month, month, day, day. You know, so, you know, or, um, you know, I'm finding all of these countries that are reported differently across different data sources. Like one will um, call Russia, Russian Federation, and another one is Russia. If you don't have some kind of data prep tool that you're working with to see, you know, like at that granular level, you could be reporting on data and, and no one would have any idea because we're, we're always rolling it up. Even if we segment, mm -hmm. we're rolling it up by country or, you know, or by um, device or, you know, whatever it is that we're rolling it up by. So now that, I mean, I just had this conversation this week where I was just like, you know what? I, and we're working with BigQuery, all the data is coming from BigQuery and, you know, and the person who put it in there feels confident that it's clean. But when I pulled it into, you know, Google's um, uh, data prep tool, we found so many issues, so many nulls having to decide, all right, how do we, how do we handle nulls? Do we want to replace it with a zero or do we want to keep it as a null? Do we want to, you know, so anyway, so that, that's how... Mm -hmm. I think unless it's incorporated into your workflow, there isn't going to be discipline because it's going to depend on the whims of whoever is looking at the data at that particular time. I've got something to add on that from, um, I had a client about two years ago and I've, it was a great idea and I've tried to install it into others since. Um, we found, um, just like I have two small humans and to try and get them to do anything, you have to reward them with something that they want um, or something that they care about. Um, so with things like data discipline of, say, tagging a UTM parameter correctly or checking that they've done things correctly, we've been baking these requirements into their core competencies of staff as part of their job. So you want the promotion, you want the raise do your core competencies otherwise you will be um, downgraded you won't get the promotion for the agencies we started to bake it into their service level agreements so if somebody was doing our Facebook marketing for us we'd say listen this is how we're going to tag it Facebook not FACB not FB not whatever you fancy and if you don't do it correctly as per our channel planning I'm not paying you you're going to void your terms and conditions and that really gets people to sit up because it's not a case of oh yeah I know I need to care about the data but I'm not bothered um, you need a stick of some sort to motivate people and money promotion the things that we like out of our job is always something to um, 
to use. Yeah, but they're not always um, able to. To it depends on the on the on the the uh, content that's being delivered. So I put an advert on Facebook today, and it was a, a video. So basically, I want them to watch the video. So I can't really. Well, maybe I can, and I just don't know because I'm a simpleton. Um, how to track that? It doesn't end up with a click. It ends up with. The, the person in, in Facebook becoming aware of the concept and the product, which I figure is exactly what I wanted them to do, but I haven't got that click into the site. So I haven't got any analytics except for whatever Facebook gives me. So you can't always do what, what, what you've baked in or am I, or I'm missing things. Have I got to build things that are trackable? I think you need to build, um, measurement documents and processes and bake them as part of core competencies so whatever that is and whatever data you're tracking to just try your best to educate people on it because you know I, I started doing this in I, like, I remember reading Brian's books I've read Jim's books I've done all of analytics so I love being on here I feel like I'm with the stars <laughs> it's marvellous um that's a great panel honestly this oh, is a, honestly, fa- I'm like, a dream I'm looking panel, at, I was really. like proper fangirling before oh, I can't <laughs> get um but yeah I remember going into jobs and being like so where's your measurement plan and they're like what and I'm like measurement plan any documentation and they're like maybe there's a ticket somewhere an email like we're still yeah. not there yet You're we're right. still not there <laughs> So, yeah, but people care when they lose money. So times of crisis, now people want to know what, what return on investment they get. So now people care a bit more. I think, Dixon, you you got to, um, I mean, you're human. That's why you make these mistakes. So, so whether you've kind of been in an education and workshop a hundred times about, or UTM uh, campaign tracking tools out there that helps you with this, you're still going to do your day job a little bit too fast and you're going to miss out on these and then analytics spreads across different agencies and different people in the organization. So you've got to assign in larger organizations anyway, data governance staff Mm. that is, you know, keeping on top of this. And at the moment, the, the DPOs of the world is not heavily involved in analytics. They kind of understand GDPR and law and, you know, trying to get the grasp of what a cookie is, but we need to get them into the analytics field and understand how they control this. Maybe it's, you know, Mm. it's a business decision to drive this. Governance has to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. I just had a, uh, I did a, a webinar with Christian Mar Hawkson, which some of you may, I know, Sarah will know, uh, and he had on his on his backdrop um, a you know clear on vision, flexible on detail. And I think that's kind of me really. And the flexible on detail doesn't really work in the analytics world. You know, a little yeah. bit of care on the detail goes an awful long way. I think. So, if I can piggyback on something. Sarah said, I'm really glad she addressed data governance, you know, because our industry is growing up and we're having to deal with a lot more data governance and working with data governance departments, you know, when we're working with, you know, clients or when we're embedded in an organization. And one of the things that I recommend is when you detect an issue, and I know Jill touched on this a little bit too, like with campaign tagging, and and because that's a really, really big one. Um, People don't monitor their other channel, which is where all the good data goes to die. Um, And so one thing that I'll do is I will just assume high recidivism rate. So I'll, you know, I'll weigh in on, okay, you're tagging medium as, you know, pink gorilla and Google doesn't know what pink gorilla is. So, you know, let's expand your email channel definition to include pink gorilla. First of all, even though I'm telling you change pink gorilla to email, I'm not trusting that you're going to do that. So we're going to 
expand your channel, but then I'll create just like a, a tech dashboard to monitor those issues, to monitor the other channel, to monitor, you know, um, uh, URIs in the content reports with lots of query parameters for e-commerce sites and things like that, because invariably these issues that you've detected one time, they're going to come back up. And so when you can monitor this, you know, simple dashboard, you could build it in data studio. You don't need Tableau. You could build this in, you know, in, Excel. I mean, it's such a simple thing to build using, you know, like the, the Google Analytics API, for example. And it looks like you're hawking over the data in the name of data governance, but really it's just a matter of checking in on this dashboard, you know, to, to make sure that, you know, they haven't slipped back into their old ways. Cool. Okay, I'm going to go and pull in a question or two. Uh, so uh, Jim put in the thing. Uh, maybe the best question is to ask: uh, ask how can I achieve you to get your uh, help you get your bonus? Which sounds like a pretty pretty good question out there. So, uh, but but the privacy challenges. Uh, Simon uh, Poulton asked: uh, what are the, what are the biggest data privacy challenges that you're seeing in 2020 and beyond? So uh, that was also something that um, you know. You, you, you mentioned uh, personalized data and stuff at, at the start, Annie, and and and, uh, and and the fact that we've got constraints now that we didn't have before. So I think, uh, I, how do you get around that? I mean, at, at one level, GDPR says, in the UK anyway, and Europe, um, you're not even allowed to track an IP address. Well, you can't deliver content without an IP address. So how does this come together? Um, what, what, what are the big challenges? What are the ones we have to fix now and... Um, you know, who's going to sue who first? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, first of all, people have got to obey with the cookie banner consent. You know, they, I think uh, it's 99% of all the cookie banners we see out there are actually violating what they say. You know, they're actually tracking you without consent mm -hmm. anyway. And I think that's it's a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding uh, how to use web analytics. It's anonymous. Um, and, and should continue to be so. So whether you kind of keep that for retargeting or not is, you know, what you need to say to people. And then people are still trying to figure out where does this fit in or, you know, with, within my organization, like we talked about before, who, who owns this uh, question and who's actually responsible for checking it. And we see anyway with uh, clients that I work with that sometimes they're so keen on doing retargeting anyway uh, and staying on top of that, that they, don't, they keep doing it until someone kind of comes and knocks on the door and says, you need to change your strategy. So they're going to continue until it's a very hard, sharp line. and uh, Lots of law cases are coming out and we might see a, sh a shift. Mm -hmm. The other part is the is the the privacy part of tracking people when you don't even know you're doing it. You're putting up a contest online, and you might sort of get your data, uh, email addresses, passwords, and all sorts of things ending up in analytics without you even knowing it. Um, the data we have is similar to I think what Jill shared a little bit earlier uh, when we uh, we talked here um, and it's you know 20 25 percent of all websites try you know collect this without even understanding mm -hmm. that they're violating uh, terms of services of google analytics or something like this but also the gdpr yeah okay. there's also the other challenge though as a user I mean, the, the number of times I go to a website, I get the big pop-up, you know, and sometimes you can't be, 
you just have to press the button. Sometimes you go through the motions and stop it all. But invariably it comes to something like a Quantcast menu. So it's a third party tracking for sure. If I just don't want Quantcast, the problem is the second I go to the New York Times and click the yes button, I've opted back into Quantcast again. So uh, the, the GDPR legislation was fairly um, uh, blatant about it's got to be um, consensual opt-in. You know, you've got actually mm-hmm. want to opt into yeah. this thing. But if I go to another website and I click back in and I've opted back into to Quantcast because I trust mm-hmm. whichever other website I've gone into, is is the data analytics collection systems are they the ones that are breaking the law, or is it each individual one, or is it everybody, or am I just being too paranoid? And um, Americans should tell me that. I, I think I think it's a brand. Yeah, it's a it's a brand issue there that I think it's more important to talk about. You know, who who wants to own this data? You know, is it a unique selling point to keep this data? You know, and try to you know what you're saying there is that that, that maybe made you annoyed as a customer or a potential customer, um, and then it's got a brand reputation problem here which is far bigger in in the context you know of uh, and i think that's what's happening to the world now we should go to a reset mode now when we start thinking about what data should i collect and what do i have the right to do and how does that affect my brand this is a cost that's really difficult to manage because i want to collect as much as i can so i can do the work that i the best work i can do um and i'm going to use a variety of tools well, just auditing all of those tools for how compliant they are is a very large task. That's, that's an issue, a problem. I always like to look at it from the customer's point of view. So Dixon, your point of view, um, the head of the ICO in well, five or six years ago came to a marketing analytics summit and said, look, we just want your privacy policy and your opt-in policy to be clear, complete, and concise. And I said, well, those are mutually exclusive. I, I can't be concise and complete <laughs> at the same time. And then it's never going to be clear. As a customer, I want you to tell me why you are collecting what you're collecting. And it is an exchange of value. If Amazon wants my email address and wants to know who my favorite authors are, and in exchange, they'll send me discounts on books that haven't been published yet, that's a service. Sign me up. But if you want all of my history and my employment records and my household income so you can send me a newsletter about your banking options. Yeah, no, we don't have a deal. So there has to be this value exchange. That's the customer side. The regulation side, the regulatory legal side of it, ooh, big issue. And it's a risk management question. How much do you want to spend to protect the company against lawsuit? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so the approach that I, I try and go with is, uh, and tell me if I'm being mad here, and I suppose I maybe should talk to lawyers on here and not analysts, because you're going to be biased on towards, well, we want the information, enough information to be able to do the job. So it, it may be an unfair question to put to the analysts. Um, and maybe I need a, a law a law group coming in for my next uh, uh, panel. Um, but uh, so my, my approach has been, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to be, collect very very little data i'm going to try and anonymize the last three digits of the of the uh, of the ip address and stuff uh, and not collect any of that information until somebody does something that 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 requires them to interact beyond just looking at my web page so i try and avoid having the the ico pop up i'm going to i'm tracking you kind of now thing i'm not not doing um 
or Elias. I don't think I'm doing uh, a lot of those tracking things until somebody signs up. And then I track them from that point when they actively choose to sign up and tick the box that says, you know, these are the things. Is that a good approach? Is that relatively safe compared to what what, what seems to have been done five years ago before GDPR came along? So I'm not a lawyer and I don't play a lawyer on TV, but... You look like (laughs) I'm not sure if that's a compliment. Uh, If you can exhibit intent, then you can defend yourself in court. We have had a series of meetings. We've had these discussions. We have these policies in place. This is the process we're using. If it's incorrect, we stand ready to fix it. But we are actively trying to protect people and protect data, and we're actively trying to comply But this other tool that we are trying out on a temporary basis is collecting stuff we were unaware of. We're so sorry, we'll stop using it. We didn't know is a reasonable defense. Write it down, write the policy down. That's, that's, I think that's a, a, good, a good place to, to move on from the GDPR stuff. Uh, so a quick fire question round for people. What's your best, um, best uh, you're gonna, apart, from, apart from your own, uh, what's your best book on digital analytics that you'd recommend? Well, you can say you're right if you really want to. Anyone want to throw one out there? I still vote for Avinash Kaushik. Uh, it's, it's not terribly current, but his, his writing is brilliant and his blog is terrific. Okay. Anyone else want to throw one in? I've, because um, Sarah might not say it, but it is a good one. Um, I really liked the, um, the smaller orange analytics books that Brian did. Um, mm. That was more about the... Not necessarily how analytics. analytics. Yeah, success. That's it. Successful <laughs> analytics. Um, Good, I remember when I that came out. Killed when I come home. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I One when I first Brian's read book. that. It was more. Um, it gave me some some strong arguments to have internally about cleaning data and how to get the templates and the measurement plans and things like that. And I think those lessons are still really key in terms of getting that data hygiene and because you need it to look pretty obviously Annie has got her book on making things look less like garbage (laughs) more like something I can read that's usable um has also been good because I hate excel so anything that can help me make things look tidier has been good well, I'll go for Annie's spreadsheet, though. So she's got a, a fantastic uh, uh, spreadsheet for, for SEOs in particular um, uh, that uh, I think lots of people still use as almost an audit checklist, which, uh, uh, which uh, isn't a book, but, you know, it's as good as because it's very useful and practical. Yeah, I've been, this isn't specific to web analytics, but I've been consuming, I mean, really kind of uh, obsessed um, a lot more with statistics because uh, I think, and I know someone touched on this a little bit earlier. I think that's been a piece of the puzzle that's kind of been missing in the web and marketing analytics piece, like, and you know, especially with things like predictive analytics and and stuff like that. So um, <clears throat> that's where I've been spending a lot of my time. Okay, well, we're already down to, th- you know, only six minutes left. So, you know, that, that's gone fast. Um, so I've, I've got a few questions to choose here, and I've got to choose one out there. There was a big data question, which um, probably with a majestic hat on, I should, I should ask, um, uh, which was, uh, uh, where was it here? So, of, of late, and I wouldn't say it necessarily is of late, I would say it's of some years, everybody's talking about big data analytics. Um, uh, but A... 
what fraction of those people are really aware of what it is and how could it be utilized um, and how to convince them on the outcomes? Um, B, also, how useful could it be in B2B services business? So basically, big data, um, your, uh, your opinion, your definition, um, uh, whether, whether it's a, a word or whether it actually has some meaning. Anyone want to go? Uh, I will quote Stefan Hamal, who said years and years ago that big data, the definition is that which does not fit into an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> and we now have the tools. I mean, BigQuery, you can just, you can just throw everything in there. And that was the, the value and the fallacy. Let's just collect everything, throw it all in a big pile, and then figure out what questions we want to ask. That's forgetting. No, no, no. There is a cost. And so... Big data has value because we can find correlations we couldn't have find before. And we've got machine learning now to help us find those correlations and anomalies and outliers. And that's fascinating if you can afford it. <laughs> okay. Anyone else? Well, I think most people are not there to mine it. That's the problem. I think that uh, we're all sort of talking about here as well, that uh, mm. we're baby steps into this, you know, and, and uh, if, you, if you still don't have statistician, statisticians, I can't say the word, um, in your team, then really you shouldn't invest in the tools either. Then mm. keep yourself in, in, in the spreadsheets maybe. I remember early days of, uh, of when, I was, when I was working at Majestic, when I was a CMO there, uh, and a lot of people were saying, oh, can I just download all the data, please? I just able to download the data. It's, it's warehouses full of data. It's physically massive, you know. Uh, and then one day I had um, on Upwork, um, a, somebody put up a post saying, uh, I'd like a job. Um, I would like somebody to build um, a tool like Majestic. I've got a budget of 500 dollars or something like that so uh which i thought was really quite entertaining so uh they took it down at the end when i took the mick out of them for it but anyway uh right okay so last question then uh just before we head off um uh, the proliferation of tools uh what's your view on the proliferation of the tools and technology landscape um whereas on the contrary the consumers of data or insights are expecting more consolidation they're expecting a more unified view of information but it would appear that there's much more, according to uh, Tanej, um, that uh, there's a, a lot more proliferation of tools and actually the information is getting more diverse. Um, what's your view and how do you approach that problem? I think going back to some themes that we've talked about, what is your business model? What are your objectives? What is it that you're trying to track? And then with your resources and budget, what is the correct measurement strategy for you which may be something as simple as what used to be PIWIC if you're worried about Google Analytics or a free version of Google Analytics I think a lot of people jump to the shiny stuff which you know they talk about artificial intelligence when really it's machine learning and the machine's learning a program of data which is all wrong and you know you, you, you go back into those those fundamentals so as much as big data is wonderful and you know there's not enough people to mine it um I think it's seen as like a little um I can't get, this is what homeschooling is doing to me. My brain is fried at the end of the day. Um, it feels like an ornament, you know, it's just like something pretty on your shelf. Oh yeah, we've got the data, we've got the warehouse, we've got, do you do anything with it? Like if you're not doing anything with the data mm. to change your strategies, what is the point? You know, so it, it, it's just getting back to basics still, good data hygiene, the, the governance, um, you know, making sure people want to learn about it, offer the learning, don't kick anybody when 
they get it wrong because that's how we learn. Like you make mistakes, yeah. you break it, you fix it, you, you kind of get on with it. Um, and although this might not be the most polite way of saying it, um, I've got a motto in my head, which is always don't be a dick. So if you're thinking about collecting data, storing data, it's like, am I being, am I making good choices here or bad choices? And, and that's kind of where I, I lead on for that. Let's not use that, that clip again for saying, sorry for swearing. Annie? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it comes down to what's, what are the answers you're trying to solve for? What are, what are the questions you're trying to get answers for? And then finding out, okay, what's the tool that will get us the answer to that specific question? So I have a client where we're, I'm building out dashboards for them, uh, marrying up Google Analytics and Search Console data. But then I noticed the conversation started um, spinning quite a, quite a bit around SERP features. So I was like, well, let's pull that in from Moz because we already have these campaigns set up. So then I connected that data you know, in BigQuery and added that to the dashboard so that, you know, so it's like preempting what their next question is or taking questions that they've already asked in a meeting and thinking, okay, let's add that into the dashboard so that as they're, you know, picking through these, you know, different charts and stuff, they can get the, the answer to that particular question. So, you know, I think as, as much as we can to get data out of silos and get it all working together, and typically I've found that that's in dashboards, um, I think people will get much more value from the data that they have access to that a lot of times no one's using. Okay, I'll tell you what, guys, uh, I'm just going to do a final plug for Majestic uh, and then, then let you guys just uh, give a plug for yourselves and where people can find you. Um, if you. If you guys haven't used Majestic out there, um, it's crawling 7 billion URLs a day and more. I don't know how many it does these days. I, I'm not, not as close as I used to be. Um, and they have just come out with some really cool new keyword um, suggestion tools that's got volumes and various other bits and pieces in there as well. Uh, and uh, they certainly have uh, the best metrics when it comes to link context and stuff as well. Um, so do give them a try if you haven't. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people in the room know Majestic inside out. Uh, so thanks to Majestic for, for sponsoring the event. Now, guys... If anybody wants to come back with your stuff or find out, find your books and, 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 and track you down, um, what's the best way for them to, to find you? And just, uh, just give a, a little hint as to where people should go to find out more about you. Uh, Jill. Uh, you can find me at thecoloringindepartment.com or on Twitter at color, Colouring spelled with or without the you. The American way. I've gone for SEO, guys. Sorry. You, if you do spell it the British way, it redirects. So don't worry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Sarah. Well, you can find uh, a very good data quality tool that I then built with uh, with Brian over the years, uh, which checks governance and um, analytics accuracy uh, for Google Analytics. It's verify-data.com. If you want to get the book that Jill plugged so nicely, it's um, on brianclifton.com. Um, or you just connect with me on LinkedIn and, you know, we'll share some uh, discussions there. Okay. Jim? Uh, Jim Stern on Twitter. With an E or without an E? With an E. <laughs> e in the middle, E at the end. Um, for your German speakers, it's Sterne. So now you know it's the E. So Jim Stern on Twitter or my uh, professional life can be found at targeting.com. Okay. And Annie? Yep. Just analytics.com. Started as a joke on Twitter, became a brand. Um, and makingdatasexy.com. 
Fantastic. Guys, I really want to thank you for taking the time today. Honestly, everybody that's watching uh, and uh, all of us, we, we really don't take it for granted. And we're really grateful for you um, stepping in and, uh, and, and joining us today. So I'm going to have to press the end meeting button now so Zoom can do its thing. So when all of you get cut off, um, my apologies, I'll just drop a line afterwards to everybody. But thank you very much for everybody. And give everyone thank you away. for including. Cheers. Thank Bye, you. guys. Wash Thanks. your hands. Bye. <laughs> <Hey. laughs>